With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Marina, New Zealand, and good morning to you all. It is a wonderful Friday. Hope uh, it's going to be a good uh, long weekend uh, wherever you are around the country. Our show this morning is brought to you, of course, by Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Experts in agriculture are up to 17 branches around the North Island. So if you have any needs at all agricultural-wise, they are the people that you go to see to fix them. Nothing uh, surer than that. This morning, uh, we're going to go to uh, the United States of America and talk to uh, Andy Ellis, of course, a former teammate uh, of uh, Sam Whitelock, of course, uh, former All Black, former Crusader, and they're battling a, w- a wee bit with injuries. We might ask if uh, Andy's got the call, actually. Brian Crotty and John O'Farr have had the call up. Uh, we'll do some uh, text with you um, on the text, uh, Temper Bedpost text line, which is double eight double three. Of course, uh, we'd love uh, some calls as well, perhaps after 9.30, 0800 What are you looking forward to this weekend? What about this Eddie Jones story, um, that he's going to bail on the Wallabies, the last kick of the ball for the World Cup, win, lose or draw? Uh, have you heard that? Have you seen that? Wow, that's an interesting story. So uh, we'd like uh, your input on that uh, forecast for the weekend's matches. Can the Warriors get up over the Dolphins? Uh, couldn't get it done last week over the Broncos. Uh, we're going to talk to a fellow by the name of Tim Piper. Now, Tim Piper is a very interesting man. Tim is a publican at the Cricketers Arms in Redditch. Tim placed a bet on a whim around about uh, 14 years ago. He put 100 quid on uh, the fact that a young man by the name of Josh Tung, at that point he was 11 years old, he thought his cricketing uh, potential was so good, he thought he'll play for England one day, that kid. We'll hear about uh, that bet. And uh, the fact that it's come to fruition because Josh Tung made his debut, Brendan McCullum picked him at Lord's last night against England. It is some story, I can promise you. The bulletin this morning will be with our good friend Brendan Popwell. Pops will be with us there on a number of issues. Uh, we'll cross to uh, Louis uh, for the sports desk. Uh, also, Louis and, uh, and I will have a great old chat with uh, Tony Pike because uh, Cheval d'Or is in the Queensland Oaks uh, tomorrow up there in, uh, at Doombin. And uh, McGarren, of course, uh, in his usual slot at 11.45 to preview what's uh, on SENZ over the weekend racing-wise and, of course, uh, in particular, the harness side of things. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Mr and Mrs Whitelock Senior sure have done New Zealand rugby proud. And in particular, Crusaders rugby. Adam, George, Sam and Luke for strapping young lads with all amounts of skill and ticker. So when Sam trades Canterbury Lamb for Escargot towards the end of this year, it will be indeed the end of a phenomenal era. And the other three would be quick to acknowledge that he's been the best of them, and by a margin, the measure of a man in any capacity is when he goes, how easily he will be replaced. Sam Whitelock has no standout successor. No one anywhere near up to his speed. He's uh, not the biggest lock around the world, but he is a giant in the game and one of those tall trees that we often talk about. The only current crusader to have played on Lancaster Park. Now there's a stat that uh, once proud stadium levelled in parts by the Christchurch earthquakes had at that stage uh, seen them all. 
Little did we know, the longevity of Whitelock's career was only just beginning. He'll play over 180 games in the engine room when all is said and done in the next few weeks. Such is the measure of his respect. The Crusaders will be busting their guts to send him off with another title. Never set foot inside a Crusader or all-black dressing room, but I would imagine, captain or not, when Sam Whitelock speaks, the four walls will be listening. Razor has had a lot of benefit out of the White Locks over the years, and to Sam in particular. And Fozzie will have last crack, to be sure. When the all-black coach-elect takes over at the end of the year, the biggest hole he has to fill is the one the big man leaves behind. He might want to dig deep and find out what keeps that massive engine purring for 80 minutes every week. And he is the epitome of the 80-minute man. Got to find out that secret formula somehow, but alas for Razor, I think you'll find it's in the breeding. So again, from us all, it's a bumper toast to you, Mr. and Mrs. Whitelock. Fair play to you. Radio, uh, let's get uh, stuck into the show, folks, and uh, let's begin with uh, rugby, and let's talk about the Crusaders with a Crusader. And it's uh, the last ride for Scott Robertson. Uh, we don't know how long it's going to last, but uh, certainly tonight, and uh, some playoff matches, hopefully, from his point of view. But it's been an uncomfortable last ride because uh, of the barrage of injuries he's had to sustain and put up with and replace. The champions' pile of broken players, done for the season, has reached nine during a campaign, they've used 45 players in their casualty ward at one stage at 17. Injuries aren't new, as our guest Jamie Wall pointed out during the week. And when the Hurricanes saw the team shoot, they were still able to hand in. I dare say there was little sympathy. Sam Whitelock will slip into his red and black jersey for 179th time on Saturday. Fittingly, he shares uh, his last ride with uh, Razor, the man he shared super titles with to date. Whitelock is a uh, future Crusaders Hall of Famer, no doubt about that. And many would strongly argue uh, this man, Andy Ellis, who's joining us now from the USA, will be in there as well at some stage. Good morning to you, Andy Ellis. <laughs> G'day, Smitty. How are you, mate? That's lovely words you said about Sammy. Well done, mate. Spot on. Uh, well, uh, I, think it's, I think it's bloody true. I mean, it was a pretty easy little sermon to write, to be honest, because I've, like you, um, well, you've played alongside him. You've shared dressing rooms with him. I haven't, but I've watched what he's done on the field of play. And I, I've, I've watched his image around the game as well, which has always been superb. Yeah, oh, he's, a, he's a fantastic human. Um, and, uh, I mean, credit, like, like you sort of noted to, to, his, to his family, his parents. Like his, uh, his mum and dad actually haven't missed many games, you know, and they, they live up north, but they're always, they were always at after-match functions. They knew, they knew us all really well. We, we loved having them around as well, you know, and, and so always had that really nice kind of, family feel and that's the kind of guy that Sammy is now um, you know, he, he's all about uh, people and family and, and, and caring and uh, I think it's, it's, it's a real credit to him you know Can you remember when he first came in the squad? No <laughs> I, I feel like he's been there that long <laughs> it was years ago I mean you know because we had George and um, and Adam and, and Luke you know they were, it was just a white lot crew they were just they were just there you know um but no, look, uh, I think always, he came from, he played a lot of basketball, so he came in and he was this really athletic lock. You know, a lot of the locks 
we had were quite gumby. You know, they couldn't even really run properly. Um, they, they'll kill me for saying that. But, um, you know what I mean? Like, Sammy was um, really um, coordinated. You know, he could he could run, catch, sprint, get up off the ground quickly, things like that. And I think um, that was pro- probably always a big part of his game, wasn't it? You know, like, he, um, he was such an athletic lock for us, you know. And, um, yeah, it's, it's one of the awesome things about him, I suppose. I think one of the other things that I've always regarded about him is he's a he is as I said a genuine eighty minute man. He hates to come off. He wants to start. He wants to finish, um, and his body is um, is pretty much let him do that for a long, long period of time. Yeah, it has. Isn't it? Like, when you look at someone like Sammy, he's been in general. Um, you know, I was going to say fortunate with injury, but I mean he looks after himself so well. He is the ultimate professional. Um, but yeah, he hasn't had any or too many really sort of major in- injuries and even this last stint with his um sort of his hand and his Achilles I got I feel like that almost freshened him up a little bit he was you know um me and Rito went out for dinner with him a couple of weeks ago and you could tell he's just like wanting to go again he was just so excited he uh, he feels like this is a pretty unique and special year you know it's his last run for Crusaders which is such a special part of his you know of what he's about um and then Obviously, what's going to happen with the All Blacks later this year and their greatest ever chapter is going to be um, a pretty awesome kind of legacy piece from as well. So, uh, like that break, I think was a good thing for him, and he came out, played really well on the weekend, you know, and um, and and now kind of the rest of the season is just it's all there now, you know. And there's not many games left in the year, Smithy. No, there's not. Um, there's not really. Um, but I can tell you this: uh, the Crusaders uh, have got their work cut out. I would imagine you've seen quite a lot of it, uh, the Super Rugby, um, when you can. Chiefs look very good this year, uh, Andy. Yeah, they do. They look like they've got that um, that kind of real deep belief in the group. And as we know, that's that's a big part of winning a title. Um, however, I, I mean, the Crusaders, I, I know it's brutal injury ravaged season for them. Um, but, man, you, you just can't, you can't write them off, can you? You know, like with... Raises last year, sending guys like Sammy off for good. Um, you know, it's it's kind of one of those. It's all building to the perfect storm like that. Uh, it's, I think it's probably going to be a Crusaders Chiefs final, and then man, who knows? You know, who knows from that point onwards. But um, I've really liked the Crusaders' performances the last couple of weeks. It started a bit slow. Really, a lot of injuries, so a lot of new guys getting given a crack too. So, um, be interesting if they can get through without any more injuries. I think mm. um, it's going to be one of the great finals. I really do. And probably the most hotly contested Super Rugby's in a long, long time, which is bloody exciting. They have uh, the Hurricanes this weekend. Uh, the uh, Crusaders have named their side, of course, with John, F- John Arfoa starting. I mean, this is a hell of a story. Ryan Crotty turning up to training the other day. Um, I mean, <laughs> any any halfback injuries, you'd be half expecting the, the call, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I was going to flick Razor a message, just letting him know I'm... Um, Highly unavailable, uh, but um, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> it was so funny. Like we did the um, uh, Rito and I did the Sky, um, you know, the, the pre-game stuff in the last home game, and we saw Johnny Arfa running out with his Crusader t-shirt. And mate, it was we just got the giggles. All three of us. Johnny did too. Like he was giggling away. We like, we gave each other a hug. And, um, he said, "Oh, you know what? Not all the Blues guys even know that I'm playing tonight, so um, I'm going to have a heap of messages on my phone, giving me a hard time afterwards." I, I just think it's such a great, it's a great story, isn't it? He's, he flew in and landed on Thursday, and he's starting for the Crusaders. 
on the Saturday night. Oh, it's a, it's a great series. He's a top man, Johnny, too. So good to have him in the Crusaders. Say that he's been he's been one of the brothers. <laughs> one of the brothers, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Hey, um, just changing just changing tack. Um, we're going to be saying goodbye to um to one of uh, your contemporaries, I guess, uh, and Aaron Smith, uh, who's um, who's off at the end of the year. Um, how highly do you rate Aaron Smith and his, his career? I mean, he's fought a lone battle down there at times for the, the Highlanders. It hasn't worked for them this year, but Aaron Smith in particular. Yeah, um, fantastic player, man. Um, you know, the greats often, they, they're innovative in their game and they lead the way, and I think he's done that for a long time. Now, when he you know, first came in, um, his, you know, that, that ability of his to get in and, and clear the ball quickly and um, give the backs time and space, um, you know, that that allowed the All Blacks to play the kind of game that they, you know, they dominated for, for a decade with them, with them at the um, controlling the ship, you know. And, and a lot of a lot of young kids um, have grown up watching and playing that style as well. And that's, you know, that's a real credit to them because, you know, there's a generation of young halfbacks coming through based off um, based on what he did and the way he kind of, Innovated, innovated, and 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 grew grew that halfback game with his speed of speed of pass in particular. Um, so mate, it's it's awesome. Another legend of of, a, of the game leaving, um, and you know it's 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 pretty. It's been an amazing career from. I'm, I'm I'm stoked and um you know proud to have got to know him as well. Okay, so um, let's look at um, it's getting closer and closer. Uh, the World Cup. Your three All Blacks to take to the World Cup. My three All Blacks to take to the World Cup. Yeah, halfbacks. Oh, um, man, it's just so hard. This is, I don't know, it's so hard. Christie's playing great footy. I mean, obviously Aaron. Um, yeah, mate, it's, I, 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 I don't know. I, I can't choose. There's, there's about five or six that you can take. Any, it depends what you're after. You know, you, do you want a bit of the extra spark or expect off the bench in a Fakitava or... Or do you want someone that is going to execute world-class standards out on the field, which is actually someone like a Mitch Drummond. He is not going to miss a kick on point. He's going to make breakdowns. He's going to make all his tackles. Yeah, it's it's so, it's so hard for your for your, for your fourth, third, fourth, fifth. Brad Weber, obviously a great leader as well. He's quick. He gives you something a bit different. Um, yeah, <laughs> mate, it's probably one of the hardest ones I reckon in that whole group to try and pick. What do you reckon? What's your call? Where are they going? Oh, yeah, throw, throw it back at me. I, throw it back at me, yeah. Um, it's so hard, what about, though, isn't it, mate? It's so hard. It is. What, what about Roy Gard, a player like Roy Gard? What does he, what does he bring that's slightly different? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like any other World Cup, you'd, you'd, you'd consider him seriously. I mean, I just think with that mix they've got there, the, the standard of all-black halfbacks is so high. I, I, I can't see them going away from the, the guys who have got a bit of experience. Um, what does Roy yeah. give you? I think he, if anything, I think he gives you a bit of um, sort of freshness. You know, he hasn't he hasn't played international rugby, so he'll come in and probably just relax and enjoy it and and play with a bit of freedom. Um, I'd imagine. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's such a hard one, man. It's exciting, it's exciting. Whoever the three yeah. are. What bring what? Why is Dupont so good? Um, they they say he's the best nine in the world at the moment. What what makes Dupont? Um, stand out in that regard. Uh, well, I mean, 
he's kind of he's a real leader in that group, isn't he? Um, and I, I feel like he got handed the reins and said, "This is your this is your team," and he's just been able to go. He has never sort of had to play for his spot. Um, you know, worried about performance. So, and then off the back of that, you can it's just built a heap of belief in him. Like he's he's a big, strong running halfback. Um, he you can see on the field he he has a lot of respect from his boys around him, and that that can take up a long that can that's not easy to do at times. You know, as a nine, the big boys respecting you. <laughs> I can tell you, it takes a few years, but he's got that. Um, he says we're going this way, they follow. You know, um, I mean, great pass, great kick. Um, Smart rugby IQ, um, but I think the th- the thing that really sort of separates him is, is that kind of that leadership thing. He he says, "Go in this way," and the boys go, "Okay, we'll follow." You know, and that's that's kind of where he's at. So for you, uh, France uh, are France favourites uh, to, to win this World Cup. Is this their time? Yeah, um, France or Ireland? Ireland have got something pretty special happening there as well. But, I I truly believe that the All Blacks can go there and win this. That's what I, I reckon. This is one of the most exciting World Cups for for us, for New Zealanders, because we we have this incredible group of experience there. We've got a heap of hundred gamers there, and um, an absolute like guys who have played at the, the highest level have won a lot of finals and top competitions. Um, like that that group really could go on and do something pretty. Pretty special. Now, that's the challenge for that coaching group is to make them, to, is to get the best out of them, um, inspire them, connect them. And but honestly, mate, like I, I've I've kind of been saying this to a few people. I, I I see this as this could be one of the All Blacks' greatest ever chances. Like this this next few months, but there's no there's not a lot of expectation on the All Blacks, is there? And I kind of feel like with the group they've got and the position they're in and the class of the players. Um, we could go there and, and rock this competition, um, but to play out there. But um, that's kind of my my read on it, mate. To be, to be honest, Andy, uh, always great to catch up with you. Uh, I, I know you're doing a lot of travelling at the moment, uh, doing a lot of things. So thanks very much for sparing us a bit of your time. Um, stay safe over there in Austin, uh, and we'll see you at home at some stage. Thank you very much. Good on you, Smithy. Anytime, mate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cheers. Sir. Andy Ellis there, folks, uh, with us, of course, uh, vastly experienced Andy Ellis, uh, All Black number 1068, 28 appearances for the All Blacks, 154, we talk about um, Whitelock and, uh, and, uh, and we talk about Wyatt Crockett, 154 himself, uh, Andy Ellis, he knows exactly what that jersey is all about, particularly at this time of the year, it is 921. Nine twenty-six here on SENZ. Really good news. Just after nine thirty, we'll be catching up with the man of the moment, Devon Conway, whose form for the Chennai Super Kings was absolutely outstanding. Top scored for them when they won the grand final just the other day. He is in the form of his life, and we've only had him 
for such a short period of time. So Devin Conway coming to us in around about five minutes' time. This is a chance to ring, read a couple of texts out that, that have come through. Mikey says, look, Reese Sam Whitelock, beautiful sermon, uh, couldn't have said it better. He is, and I will use an overused term, a true legend of Crusaders and all-black rugby. Uh, Louis Herman Watt is uh, in uh, Auckland this morning. Uh, Louis, you're, um, you're a very proud, um, unashamed fan of the Crusaders, but in particular Sam Whitelock. I am, and I, I echo your sentiment, and I echo Andy Ellis's sentiment around just thanking the Whitelock family, and I, I do not think it's a coincidence the All Blacks culture, uh, the Crusaders culture, and the All Blacks culture that they've been able to maintain in that level of stability over the last uh, decade without the Whitelock influence. I think it's it's um, quite obviously connected. Another texter said, uh, Smithy, there should be a range of high-end furniture made and named the Whitelock Collection because they are a part of the furniture when it comes to Canterbury Rugby. Uh, hi, Smithy. In any sport, there's the great players, then there's the ones that get to legend status. Sam Whitelock is in the legendary category. His trophy wins are so many to mention, and Sam Whitelock off the field is a true gentleman. That's Patrick from Ashburton. Uh, he's going to be sorely missed. Um, you know, you, you take... You, you take a, a, his workload out and and uh, you look at it for 80 minutes, are we going to be able to find a replacement for that kind of workload? I don't think there's one bloke, there's not one natural successor, one or two guys over the period of 80 minutes might be able to put in the work as such, but I just don't think it, there is one bloke you can say in New Zealand, don't worry, we've got it covered, because I don't think we have. It's as simple as that. I certainly do not believe that we, we've got it covered. It's an interesting thought, Smithy, but I reckon going back maybe six years ago, maybe even five, there was probably an assumption Brody Retallick would go on to be the greater lock and greater all black. I just think maybe high in talent and capacity, Brody has got something that Sam never quite had. Brody with injuries and overseas jaunts has uh, played a little bit less for the All Blacks in recent times, whereas Sam Whitelock has been able to maintain his very high level consistency for over 10 years now and when it's all said and done looking at their careers next to each other as the twin towers you know being able to compare them to the Meads brothers etc Carmo it's going to be really interesting where they land in the pantheon of great all blacks used to be you know uh, it's Meads and who Colin Meads and who if you talk about legendary all blacks and uh, locks uh, uh, over a long long period of time it's Meads and who's the other one well, I think the other one is, at the moment, it's white. Look, I mean, Texas, if you like, double eight, double three. Who's your best ever all-black locking combination? Double eight, double three. Is it Meads and Whitelock? Um, is it Whitelock and Retallick? I mean, a lot of people uh, of the age that listen to this show wouldn't have seen Colin Meads play a lot of rugby, uh, to be perfectly honest. Uh, they'll have heard about the tree. They'll have heard about um, his exploits, his bravery, his toughness, his respect from his teammates and the opposition. Uh, but they're only really seeing the current crop play. So, you know, I'm, we're, we're talking Hayden and, and Wetton, um, you know, Jones, as you said. So many uh, terrific locks. But what is the greatest combination? If you could put them on the field, run them out in all black jerseys today, who's your number four and your number five? It is 9.30 here on SENZ. Devin Conway very, very shortly. In the meantime, here's the news with Aroha. Right, Toe, it's 9.32 here on SENZ. We're going to play a little bit of music there, but it uh, didn't play, so that's cool. Uh, but uh, talking of playing and playing very well, 
Um, the man who's uh, just joined us, um, and we thank him very much for doing that. They must have a little touch of jet lag, a lot of fatigue. Uh, is the one and the only Devin Conway, player of the match in the IPL Grand Final between uh, Chennai and Gujarat. Of course, Chennai getting up with that thrilling finish, courtesy of uh, Jadeja. It was some sort of spectacle. And uh, it presented Stephen Fleming and MS Dhoni and Co. with yet another title. And as I said, Devin Conway was player of the match, scored 47 um, and uh, of 20, 25 balls, has had uh, a hell of an IPL. Uh, Devin, thanks uh, so much for uh, giving us a bit of your time this morning. Hey, good morning, Smithy. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, it's good to be on the show. Yeah, welcome home. Um, what a fantastic uh, IPL you had yourself. Um, you were in rare touch. Tell us, uh, tell us a wee bit about the season. Yeah, cheers. It was, it was obviously a pretty good um, IPL um, for me and obviously collectively as a group. It was really great. Um, we um, sort of had a disappointing IPL campaign last year, so for us to, to bounce back this year um, and win the title is obviously pretty special for us as a group. And then personally, yeah, I was pretty happy to get the opportunity to, to open the batting throughout the season and um, be backed by Stephen Fleming and Captain MS Dhoni. So it was a great opportunity for me to grow my game and, and express myself um, in the IPL. How do you, how do you, when you say grow my game, how, how do you mean, for the people sitting listening at home or on the road or whatever, how do you mean grow your game as such? Yeah, for me personally, um, you know, I haven't played a lot of T20 cricket at the highest level in international, on the international stage. So um, there's been a few learning curves that I've, I've experienced over the last couple of years, um, you know, particularly with the ball sort of quite straight body line um, area where I am at times quite limited. So um, for me, to sort of grow my game and get better at um, accessing that delivery has been good. And then also just having the experience of other players around me to, to lean on. Um, you know, every T20 game has got different scenarios, different situations, and how to attack those different uh, moments of the game has been great to sort of lean on experienced guys just to, to improve and, and move forward in my game personally. Uh, and the, the other side of it is, generally speaking, uh, when you've been playing international T20 cricket for us as such, you've been uh, doing the glove work as well. How did you find um, the difference there? Yeah, um, I think it was it was good. I mean, I didn't do much glove work there in India. Um, I had one or two training sessions with MS Dhoni, um, obviously a very experienced glove man. Um, so it was nice just to sort of stick into his experience and... And then also just offering in the field, you know, I think at times, you know, if there's no uh, position for me to take the glove works for, for the black caps, then at least I can offer in the outfield. So um, there was there were moments throughout the two months being away that I was able to sort of work on my specifics, but unfortunately no game time behind, behind the sticks um, with the gloves on. So that's all good, though. Okay, uh, Devin, um, we've, we've talked a, uh, a wee bit this morning about uh, one of our legendary All Blacks and, um, and Sam Whitelock and uh, what a great following, etc. He has with a giant of a man. But you've just lived uh, the last uh, seven, eight weeks alongside um, MS Stoney. Uh, we've got no idea about fame in this country, have we? Um, yeah, I think you're right about that, Smitty. I think um, spending a bit of time with MS um, over the last two months has been an eye-opening experience. I think, um, you know, He's very, very well liked in India. He's pretty much worshipped there. So um, to see the following and support that they have for him is pretty incredible. Um, you know, every away game we had was pretty much a, a home game because of all the, the supporters travelling to support pretty much MS Dhoni. Um, we would take it as a CSK following, but I think 90% of them were all there to sort of watch MS. So um, 
it was pretty special. Um, a different sort of world that we're used to. You know, I don't think he's able to do much outside the hotel due to his fame and, and his possible chances of moving around freely outside the hotel. So, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty cool to sort of see him and, and spend some time with him over the last couple of months. Well, in the grand final, of course, you scored 47 off 25. MS Stoney, uh, a first ball duck, which is very, very rare. Uh, I would imagine the atmosphere from the Chennai side of things in the ground uh, just went completely and utterly flat. And then out walks Ravinda Jadeja. Tell us about those last, uh, those last moments in that game because I watched it, I witnessed it. It must have been incredible to be sitting watching. Yeah, it was incredible, Smithy. I think, you know, it was a roller coaster of a finish. You know, there was times where I thought we were ahead of the game. Um, and then, you know, when we got to a position where there was 10 needed off two balls, I thought we were out of it, especially with how well that Moed Sharma was bowling that last over. Um, I didn't think it was possible at one point. And then luckily he sort of just, just missed his length by a matter of inches. And it allowed that uh, Ravindra Jadeja to, to get underneath it and get it get it away for six that sort of bounced us back in the game and then um, yeah luckily enough he missed again on that final ball just slightly too straight to beat short fine leg for four it was just an incredible scene so um, yeah there was a lot of emotions going on and um, it was pretty cool to watch from from, from the, uh, the change room uh, what about uh, Flem, Stephen Fleming? How's, uh, I mean, his, it's very hard to, to think that you can keep a, a job in cricket for a long period of time in India because it's so competitive, it's so demanding. But his uh, tenure at, uh, at Chennai has been well, one of, uh, of great length now. How's he regarded over there from one a player's point of view and from the people? Yeah, he's, he's very well respected, Smitty. I think, you know, he's been, um, you know, he's been very successful as the coach over the last, 16 years or so um, and I think you know he's got the respect of the players um, the way he runs the show there um, he really drives a good culture he's got a good relationship with MS and I think the franchise owners as well so um, you know having his support as a player is, is, is very important and beneficial for us as a group and individuals and um, yeah like I say he's obviously very well respected he's, he's done a great job for CSK over a number of years and um, he's well respected by the, the following of CSK. One of the uh, disappointing aspects of, of uh, the IPL is that a number of our players are over there, um, and I put Mitchell Santner in this bracket, haven't had a lot of cricket uh, leading towards uh, what's coming up towards the end of the year. How busy or how much cricket or how much work are these guys like uh, Mitch Santner having to put in to stay up to speed? Yeah, it's, it is a little bit disappointing, you know, reflecting back on that past um, campaign. There were a number of our guys that didn't get a lot of playing time. Um, but in saying that, though, um, it still provides all the players the opportunity to train. Um, when we're in India, there's not a lot to do outside the hotel other than train. Um, so guys do get the opportunity to, to really own their crafts and, and work hard at their games. Um, so everyone, I'm sure, in the New Zealand setup, even if they were sitting on the bench, were, were certainly ready to play at any opportunity given. Um, but like you say, it was a little bit um, unfortunate that a couple of the guys didn't get the opportunities that they probably should have um, should have got. So um, yeah, I'm sure they'll pretty much be up to speed. But I'm sure they're also pretty happy to be back home as well. Yeah, I'm sure they are. Uh, Devin, uh, one of the the good things from your aspect, of course, is that. Uh, you're doing, you're, you've been doing very well in Indian conditions. Of course, we all know that's where the 50-over World Cup is on in a matter of months' time. Uh, what about those Indian conditions? How do they vary from uh, from ground to ground as such, those grounds that will be used in the World Cup? 
Yeah, I think um, it's been great to get some experience. Last year, we only played on three different grounds. So this year, we had the opportunity to travel throughout India and play at different stadiums. And one thing I did learn is how different some of the grounds are um, and how the totals can change and how the bowling needs to change too. Especially on a tactical side of things, you know, like playing in Chennai, it was more of a spin surface. So you'd probably carry three spinners, um, same as Lucknow, but Vice versa, if you played in Bangalore um, or one of the so, sort of Mumbai grounds, you know that it's going to be slightly more batter-friendly, so you'd probably not need as much spin on those surfaces. But gaining that experience um, and playing on those different surfaces has certainly helped and, and, and certainly will benefit me if selected for the World Cup later in the year. The biggest downer of the IPL, of course, was the injury to Kane Williamson. We're not quite sure what his prognosis is. Uh, we cross our fingers, etc. But that's going to put... Um, a lot more pressure on the top order batting. Of course, you're very much a, a part of that. Any preference where you would like to bat in the 50-over version? Um, yeah, I think anywhere in the top three is, is good. You know, I've really been enjoy, enjoying um, opening the batting in the past um, for the Black Caps, so hopefully that doesn't change. But as you say, it's, it's certainly a massive loss for us, Kane getting injured in the way he did in that opening game. Hopefully he will be fit enough to partake in that World Cup later in the year. But, um, you know, if Steady wants me to bat in any certain position, whatever is best for the team, I'm just happy to try and do a job for the, for the group and, and be at that World Cup. So, um, yeah, hopefully Kane is back and fit for that. So. Devin Conway, uh, brilliant. Uh, thanks so much for a, a bit of your very valuable time. I know that uh, you've only really just got back on terra firma here in New Zealand. Congratulations on a wonderful IPL and uh, all the best going forward. Uh, and more importantly, stay fit and healthy. Thanks, please. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Smithy. I appreciate it. Yeah, cheers, uh, folks. That's Stephen Conway, of course. Uh, he's our man. Um, uh, we only have had him for a very short period of time. We'd love to have thought that we could have had him for the last five years, but what he's achieved in the short period of time that we've had him has been absolutely brilliant. Uh, so uh, we look to Devin Conway to continue that form in the World Cup in October and November. Incidentally, I think the venues for those games, those pool games, are coming out very shortly from um, the BCCI, as they call it. It's 9.42 here on SCNZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Rightio, let's uh, have a look at what we've got in store this weekend. Plenty of uh, options to choose from, uh, starting this afternoon, of course, with the uh, the, the basketball, which uh, is intriguing. Uh, I've got Denver to beat uh, Miami in Game 1, and I also, also think they'll beat them quite uh, handsomely. So Denver, minus 9.5 points at $1.90. Denver, minus 9.5, $1.90. Brumbies to beat the Rebels, I think that's a given, at $1.27, the market says so, doesn't it? Uh, Warriors to beat the Dolphins, $1.42. Uh, about the same margin they were last week, uh, to be fair, against the Broncos. Couldn't get it done there, but they are back uh, at Go Media Mount Smart, of course, uh, their beloved home base. So I, I think that'll be worth a few points to them. And I, uh, on the back of what they did last week, I think they'll beat the Dolphins. I certainly hope they do. Uh, and I believe uh, also that the West Tigers, who are slight outsiders, will get up and beat Canberra uh, as well. West Tigers have found something all of a sudden, haven't they? Tim Sheens and Benji Marshall and co., uh, so I think that they will get up at $2.05. So it's the Tigers, the Warriors, the Brumbies into Denver, minus 9.5. And that weekend multi will realise 
and two cents. So let's have a look at uh, some of the texts that have come in. Um, morning, guys. In my opinion, and it is uh, totally two different eras. You need to split into pre two thousands and after pre two thousands. Uh, definitely Meads and Hayden pre two thousands. Uh, post uh, and Jones uh, post uh, Retallick and Whitelock by a fair way. That's uh, from Johnny. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit apples and oranges because the game has changed as such. It's just you know those giants of men that you see in your engine room. Those the, those numbers four and five. Uh, who would you really like to see packing down in a scrum, shoulder to shoulder, standing next to each other in a line-out, etc., staring down the opposition? Um, I would have thought Whitelock and Meads would be quite a combination. Um, I, uh, John says, look, I, I put Sam Whitelock up there with the game's greats. He stands alongside Sir Colin Meads, um, Victor Matlock, of course. Um, uh, uh, Victor Matlock. Yep. Matfield? John Eels. Vic, yeah, I was going to say Matlock, Matfield, Victor Matfield. John Eels. John Eels, he is a, a goat. The greatest of all time, John Eels, with the best uh, nickname in sport. Perf- uh, nobody. Yeah, nobody. Wasn't his nickname was Nobody because nobody's perfect. Uh, Jamie says, uh, great show, Smithy. I just hope somehow New Zealand can make the semifinals of the World Cup. Then Conway has the ability to go bang, bang, and make a, a couple of decent scores to give us a great chance. Yeah, Jamie from Wanaka. I agree. Um, he has to fire. Um, we have to have Bolt and Conway has to fire for me uh, for us to have uh, any real possibility of uh, upsetting the apple cart there. Um, uh, Smithy, I believe, and I could be wrong, that the great man Colin Meads is quoted as saying before he passed away that Whitelock and Retallick are the best locks the All Blacks have ever had. might have read that actually too myself, uh, Mikey, because when uh, Colin Meads speaks along those uh, sort of lines, uh, you sort of think, yeah, um, you listen, don't you? Just like when... I imagine when Whitelock speaks in the dressing room, you listen. Uh, other than Retallick and Whitelock, um, another texter has said, I would say Chris Jack with Brad Thorne combining well. It's mm, an interesting one. And John has come in and said, look, uh, hey, Smithy, Ronan Nagawa was asked about DuPont in an interview post-match. This is the French halfback, Antoine DuPont. Um, and in the uh, interview post-match, not long ago, it was uh, doing the rounds. He said, DuPont, superpowers, decision-making, he always gets it right. When to run, when to kick, when to go short, when to go wide. Roy Gard is top shelf, but he missed three or four opportunities last week against the Blues going the wrong way with his pass. He'll be long-term All Black, but has to work on that, which will come with time. Long-suffering Kane supporter, John. Thank you very much for your text this morning. It is 9.52. Yes, coming up uh, after 10 o'clock, a fascinating interview with a bloke by the name of uh, Tim Piper. You won't have heard of him uh, up till now, unless you read an article on stuff, I would imagine. Uh, Tim is the bloke who, uh, out of a whim, um, and a fairly serious whim, because he did his background work and uh, he saw up front how much talent this kid had. Uh, Josh Tung made his debut last night for England uh, against Ireland at Lords, uh, his first Test match. Tim Piper put a bet on quite some time ago that he would one day play a Test match for England. Well, he's achieved that. Uh, one of the uh, interesting things was we mulled about uh, whether we'd we'd uh, get to the bottom of the story and we thought why not so uh, Louis you just uh, this morning just what rung the cricketers arms in Redditch in Birmingham is that how it worked yeah just googled the pub smithy uh, hit dial on the plus four four and said I'm looking for Tim Piper and he goes you got him and then it spent the next five minutes trying to explain that I wasn't a prank caller and his first word, second words to me were that's the worst fake New Zealand accent I've ever heard. <laughs> Seriously? 
Yeah, seriously, he, he was. He couldn't believe the doyen, the great Ian Smith, wanted to talk to him. So <laughs> he asked me what our biggest export was. I had to do some sheep chat, and he's a big boxing fan, so he wanted to know even about Joseph Parker. But then he agreed. So happy days. Happy days. Well, uh, we, this guy is fascinating. Uh, it is a great story, actually. And uh, every now and then, you just uh, you see a headline, you say, "Really? You really?" Uh, he's a character, Tim Piper. So uh, we'll be hearing from him straight after the news uh, with Araha. Um, and then uh, we'll also uh, we're talking to Tony Pike later in the morning. Uh, Tony's um, got a real chance tomorrow, I think it's fair to say, in a very big race in Queensland. Uh, we'll also be talking to VP Brendan uh, Popperwell. Normally we'd ask him for a few odds. He's going to come on and be our man on the bulletin this morning. So uh, the next uh, couple of hours uh, are going to be fascinating, and that'll be beginning with uh, our man Tim Piper out of Birmingham straight after the news, coming up with Araha at 10. Have you ever had a futures bet? Have you ever had one that uh, is going to last four or five, six months maybe on a horse or on a sporting event or whatever? Well, the bloke we're talking to has done just that. He's had a decent old whack and he's had to wait 14 years for a return on his investment. I'm not even sure if he thought he'd ever get his, uh, his money back, but he went on a whim, like a lot of punters do, and it's paid off and it's become one of the big stories uh, in the world, particularly around cricket and around betting anyway. Uh, so we're going to go to uh, a little town called Redditch uh, in England and the UK. We're going to the Cricketers Arms pub where the publican there is, uh, goes by the name of Tim Piper. A uh, very popular publican, I'm led to believe, and a real character. And it's a good evening to uh, Tim over there. Uh, Tim, I just wonder, have you rung the bell for last orders yet? Uh, I'm actually back home now, Ian. I've left my barmaid in charge because I've been doing interviews from 7 o'clock this morning. And I've this... come home to have a chill and chat to New Zealand radio, straight television, whatever we're on. Uh, it's been an amazing day, Ian. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, I never dreamt that it would be this popular and People are in the pub coming up to me saying, Tim, it's big in America, India, everywhere. This is Australia. They got the friends messaging them saying, what the hell has happened here in Redditch? So it's absolutely <laughs> massive, Ian. <laughs> it is massive. It's, Tim, it's, it's you know, a joke. Take us back to how it started then. Tell us the story. What it is, Ian, I was a decent cricket player myself. I played in the Birmingham Cricket League for Redditch and uh, I was a quick bowler myself. Well, quick at my level. And I played with um, Phil Tung, who happened to be Josh's dad and also played with the uncle, Brian Powell. Decent sports people. And uh, Phil, Phil was a decent cricketer himself. Good batsman, good eye, good fielder. And uh, he, had, he had one son and then he had Josh 25 years ago. And I was friends with Phil outside of cricket as well. We were quite good mates. And every now and then I used to go and visit visit the family home and see how the kids were getting on. And then he must he was born in the October, so it must it must have been in the summertime. He must have been probably two and a half then. I wouldn't say one and a half, two and a half. And I can hear Phil in the garden, get forward, shouting all the sudden who's he talking? So I've gone in the back garden. This little dot of a kid, he's he's gotta be two and a half, we say. And he's batting, he's throwing the ball down to him, throwing a tennis ball, making him get forward. And his technique's just wonderful. And I, I thought, oh, my God. And then he said, Tim, grab the bat. Let the little kid have a bolt here. And I'm like laughing. The little kid started bowling leg spin to me. 
was like, chain wall was the big thing at the time. The little lad is starting to bowl leg spin to me, uh, calling it, calling the googly, calling the top spinner. I'm like, nah, this, you know, we're playing with a tennis ball in the back, in an uneven back garden. I thought, I seem to think magically here today. But, you know, let's not get carried away. So then, as we used to play on a Saturday and Sunday, Jenny, the wife, used to bring the two lads down to the cricket club. He's getting to four and five now, and he's bowling leg spin, and it's within the nets, and he's he's beating us with deliveries. You know, we're grown men, and he's laughing because he actually knows the delivery. He's bowling, and then he's playing the bit older lads than him, and he's timing the ball beautifully. And I was just thinking, no, nah, this, you know, I've been around cricket for forty years. This, this isn't, this isn't natural. This little boy's got special. So. What happened? He played a couple of games for Redditch under 11s. He was six. So he's playing five years above him, above himself and he's doing well. You know, it's amazing. He's probably about as tall as the stumps at the moment. Bowling leggies, googlies, topspinners. He's got the lot. And I, I thought, oh my God. So what, what happened then? The family moved away to Worcester when he was six and he got took on at the county. Youngest boy ever to play for the county. So I kept in touch with Phil. And I tried to phone up a couple of the bookmakers saying, can I have a bet on this young boy playing for England? There wasn't a lot of interest. So I, I let it go, like, you know. And then I kept in touch with Phil over the years because Phil become the assistant coach for his age, his age at the county. Always saying, how's he doing? He said, well, he's playing two and three years above himself at the county. We haven't got a leg, leg spinner at Worcestershire County now to teach him because they're few and far between, as you know, Ian. Leg spinners mm. don't come about that often, do they? So there wasn't a coach. So Phil starts saying, Tim, he's now starting to bowl seam. I've got him bowling seam and he's growing. He's growing taller and he's still batting well and he's doing some marvellous things at the county for his age group. So I kept in touch. And then one day I said to my two sons, come on, let's go over and let's go and visit Phil and Josh and see how he's getting on at Omersley Cricket Club. And he's, he's now 11 and he's shot up. He's getting tall. I'm watching him bowl and I'm watching him bat. Another said to his dad, Phil, I'm going to have a bet on, I'm going to bet on Josh to play for England. And Phil's not a gambling man. He's crack on Tim. And I said, Phil, I'm, you know, I can't let this go. You know. So I got in touch with uh, Coddles, Ladbrokes and William Hill and, Two of them offered like 40 to 1. I'm thinking, what, 40 to 1 for an 11-year-old to play test cricket? And Coddles offered me 500 to 1. So I thought, I'll have a bit of this. Uh, I sent back to head office. I said, I think it was the days where I sent a cheque. I sent a cheque for 100 pounds. Got the betting slip back. Uh, you know, stamped uh, or, you know, a number on it, a number to confirm the bet. Kept looking at the bet thinking, yeah, this is on. And then, as time went by, he broke into the Worcester team when he's 17 or 18. He's grown tall, quite lean then and quite not well built. He's still a boy in a, in a tall body and he's bowling well and he's doing well. He's got to the England under 19 set up. So I'm thinking, got a chance here. Uh, I think he went over to Australia. When England were playing there six years ago, I heard he was with the setup and he started bowling to Alison Nett in the cuts and cooking the nets. And I heard he was giving Cook all kinds of trouble. So he was then known to the uh, hierarchy. Um, and then he's had some terrible injuries. It's been dreadful. I mean, he's had shoulder injuries over the last five years. And then 12 months ago, he was thinking of calling it a day. He had had enough. And then I've been told by his dad, a hockey physio came to Worcester and 
found the problem in his shoulder, Botox, and he's obviously back strong and fit. He went on the England Lions tour to Sri Lanka in the winter, and he did well, got wickets, and he's obviously on the radar then. He's came back. He got uh, he played for Worcester against Sussex and got Steve Smith, the Australian captain, out LBW, got Pajara out. He's a big wicket taker. He takes big men out. Asim Amlar, he gets big wickets. He goes for a few runs, but he's a wicket taker. Uh, and he's obviously the England team selectors. He's on their radar. So they've called him into the um, test team. Last week he was called into the test team. I was thinking, yeah, he might. We know we've got a lot of injuries at the moment. Robinson and uh, um, Jimmy Anderson, Joffre Archer's out for the season. So there is injuries. And they've called him in. And then I'm a cricket fan, but I think the team's picked on the Thursday morning at 10 o'clock. Someone's phoned me up, said, Tim, he's playing. I said, this is Tuesday night. I said, you what? Look at Sky Sports, look at BBC Sports. And I saw it. Chung starts for England. So, obviously, <laughs> ran upstairs, got the betting slip out the cupboard. It had been there next to me passport for the last 14 years. I thought, I'd better check this slip, that I wrote it and read it correctly. And it's there. And I thought, oh, my God. And then people started, people, he knew I bet on him from a young age. So then when I went to Worcester, I went to Worcester a few times, a few years back to watch him. His teammates start saying, is this the man who's bet on you? So it was known in Worcester Cricket Club that a bet had been put on him like. So, and then from Tuesday, it's absolutely gone mad. Uh, BBC, TalkSport, the Sun newspaper, just everyone has, you know, because they love the story. Because even though it's £50,000 to me, is a, of course, it's a lovely amount, uh, but I'm so happy for the family. You know, this is this is a friend of mine for 35 years. This is his son, and I've seen the work that him and his wife have put in to chase this boy round England for the last 20 years. So I can see, you know, it's wonderful for the family, and they're on the they're on the pitch at Lords today when he got his cap from Jimmy Anderson, and the whole family were there as well, and I heard. It's the first time ever they went in the team cuddle, the England team cuddle, and included his family. It's just, it's just a fairy tale, isn't it, Ian? You know, it's wonderful. You know, Tim, it's 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 a, it's a hell of a story, I've got to say, and and the way you told it um, is absolutely fantastic as well. Uh, of course, we we know Brendan McCullum very well over here. Who's uh, the coach yeah. over uh, over there? And uh, of course, he was actually part of this radio show for a while. Um, he he's um, he's a terrific guy, and he'll encourage him. He'll give him every opportunity. Oh, today they bowled him in short spells. He's bowling 90, 91 mile an hour today. He's a big, strong boy now. He's a he's not a boy. He's a man. The problem was when he first came in, he was six foot four and probably eleven stone, and he was still in a boy's body. And I kept saying to his dad, "He's going to have because I'm a sportsman myself. He's going to have injuries because he's bowling ninety mile an hour, and his frame's not big enough." And obviously, during these injuries, he's gone in the gym and pumped up. And he's come on the he's come on the telly today. And I'm looking. This is a brute. This is now a brute of a man. You know, he's probably 14 and a half stone. I thought he was going to be Broadfield. He's twice as big as Stuart Broad. You know, he's just a bigger man altogether. And his action now's lovely. Quite, quite, not tearing in. Not a long run up. And he's bowling 91 mile an hour on a on a placid Lord's pitch today. 
and they used him well. Stokes has got him bowling. I don't know if you've seen the highlights, Ian. Stokes mm. has got him bowling, attacking bouncers, because I think they're looking at the long long term here that they probably Woods injured again. He can bowl ninety. It's all right bowling eighty mile hour. You know yourself, Ian. But ninety mm. mile an hour is a different world, isn't it? Yeah, it, you know, it certainly is. You've got it to know where you're bowling term... it. Yeah, you do. Scary. Ninety <sighs> scary. Eighty. Good players can play 80, can't they? Okay. Hey, Tim, uh, here's an, an interesting thing. Uh, the 16th of June, um, first test, uh, Ashes test uh, at Edgebaston. I would imagine uh, you might pop along, um, but uh, well, wouldn't I'm that be a story? Miles, if, if, I'm if, 10 if, miles from Edgebaston. I live 10 miles from Edgebaston. Uh, so if he's if he's in the... I don't know what's going to happen. We've got Broad to come back. We've got Robinson. We've got some top-class bowlers uh, I don't know. Hopefully, he didn't get a wicket today. He bowled fiery and hostile. Hopefully, they'll give him a good run out in the second innings because it looks like we're going to score about four or 500 against Ireland. And then it, it, they might give him a good opening with him on the second innings to see if he can knock a few of these paddies over. Um, we'll see, won't we? It's, he's there in the squad, isn't he? It's a long series, mm. five, five matches, and we have got injuries. So let's not think Broad at four, uh, 36 and Anderson at 40 can go on forever they can't they've been wonderful but they can't go on forever can they uh robin they can they can yeah they they can't you're right you're right tim i tell us uh, just just uh just finally do you get many new zealanders through the cricketers arms pub and redditch do i get what you mean new zealanders pop into the cricketers arms and redditch uh, no 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 we don't <laughs> new zealanders the only new zealanders who would ever come to redditch would be the Pro cricketers who come here and play in the uh, local leagues. No, they don't. They don't come down to our pub. No, it's it's a football pub. Ed. Even though it's called the Cricketers Arms, this is a football pub. Uh, there obviously what's was your... a cricket ground. And... Yeah. What's my team? What, what's the? Yep. I'm Manchester United. We're playing Manchester City in the FA Cup on Saturday, and we're going to try and stop them doing the treble like we did to Liverpool in 1977 when I was a little kid. Um, and my team's Worcestershire, one of your finest players ever used to play for us, Glenn Matlin Turner. He was an absolute hero here for Worcestershire when I was a grow, uh, growing up as a kid. Um, but, Brilliant. Uh, yeah, I'm an all-round sports fan. You know, I love sport. I'm a professional boxing master of ceremonies, so that's what I do as well as a hobby, apart from running the pub and different. we have different businesses going on. But I'm an absolute... Avid. I've been watching Test cricket since 1976, and for Josh Tung to make his debut at Lords, cricket people don't know that. If you pick anybody in the world and you say to them, "Where would you like to make your Test debut?" Even New Zealand, Australia, they will say Lords Cricket Ground. Am I right, Ian? You're absolutely right, Tim. And I'll tell you what, you're spot on. Um, and I tell you what, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to spend quarter of an hour with you. And if I'm passing through, if I'm ever over there commentating uh, around the Edgebaston area, I am going to make it my business to visit you at uh, the, the pub in Redditch because we could have a good long chat. I promise you that, just you oh, and I. Oh, Ian, I could talk. I can talk to a man like you, I can tell. And you weren't a bad little keeper yourself, was you? <laughs> oh, I, I had my moments. A little, little, little tubby man, but he was a good keeper. Oh, I'm, I'm slightly bigger like than keeping, Tubby now. Was it like, what was it keeping to Richard Adley like? It must have been marvellous. 
It was like a dream. It was uh, it was pretty easy. You, you know, Sir, you, you know, Sir Richard, we have, we have to call him Sir yep, Richard now. I just call him. I just call him Paddles. Don't you worry about that. Hey, yeah, hey, he um, he, he was Tim. Hey, thanks, man. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I'd love to catch up at some stage. Great story. If you ever a great come story over in your talk. To Edgbaston, yep. Get in touch, and you'll yep. be more than welcome in our pub. Good on you, Tim. Thank you. Have a terrific evening, and enjoy Thanks. the ashes. Cheers, man. Thank you, Ian. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. here on SENZ and what a character yes uh, Tim Piper was uh, out of the Cricketer's Arms a little uh, hotel, a little pub I should say, a free house as they call them over there um, just uh, if you google it you'll see just a beautiful little white corner pub uh, that he runs with his two sons uh, Bradley and I think Bradford actually, Bradford and Thomas uh, they run the pub together with dad and he's just uh, a genuine raconteur isn't he Great storyteller. You can imagine leaning on the bar and having a few pints with him and not getting a word in. It would be absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, had a couple of texts into that effect as well. And just on that subject of uh, England playing Test cricket, they are in the middle of a Test match against Ireland. In fact, day two tonight at Lords. Ireland uh, batting first, 172. With Stuart Broad getting five wickets. Yes, Josh Tung didn't get a wicket. The bloke we were just talking about there didn't get a wicket. Uh, but uh, surely will in the second innings and um, uh, with that kind of pace that Tim was talking about uh, you know you, you can't coach that kind of pace you've either got it or you haven't um, and without Mark Wood perhaps uh, with an injury no Joffre Archer uh, we might see Josh Tung in the ashes and now we know just a little bit more about him in fact quite a lot more about him uh, England in reply just uh, by the by 152 for one after just 25 overs so they're rattling along at six runs per over and that's the kind of cricket they want to play in the Ashes. It's the kind of cricket that uh, Stokes and McCullum have got them playing from the outset. So uh, they've kicked off the season in a very uh, similar note um, and you can get a big clue as to the first Test team uh, in terms of the batting order uh, that will take part in the Ashes. Uh, so uh, England uh, started with Crawley and Duckett, uh, Ollie Pope, who's the vice-captain at three, Joe Root, of course, Harry Brook, Ben Stokes. That'll be your top six with Johnny Bairstow at seven. Now, Johnny Bairstow at seven is an absolute luxury. Um, he's the keeper as well, but uh, that gives you quite a, a lot of batting strength and it enables you just to pick your bowlers on merit rather than having to pick all-rounders as such to try and back up the batting side of things. Stuart Broad, Jack Leach, Matthew Potts, Josh Tung, the remainder of the, the, uh, the bowling there. Um, <clears throat> and I just think uh, with Jimmy Anderson, if Jimmy Anderson can get fit, uh, you throw him on for either uh, Potts or Tongue and you've got uh, Ollie Robinson floating around. Um, then you're looking at uh, basically your, your first test team for the Ashes. So it's on show now. Baz will have used this game as a build-up to try and uh, simulate things going forward because that uh, test match now uh, is around 14 days away. 14 days away, two weeks today almost, uh, to the fact that uh, England will be taking on Australia in the Ashes. Uh, yes, so Richie's coming. So what an interview, what a story, and, uh, what a story, and what a storyteller. 
Um, Doug said, uh, great interview. What a champion guy, similar to the Rory McIlroy bet, his dad took, yeah, that his son might win the Open Championship at some stage. Uh, that needed him quite a lot of money. I don't think you would get uh, a word in after a few points. Totally agree, Doug, and wouldn't care. Wouldn't care. Um, right, uh, Carl and Simon have both come in. Uh, two texts here. Carl has said, look, can you please thank whoever sent you that text yesterday saying to back Archie at Addington last night? Cheers, uh, that's from Carl. Uh, hey, Smithy, thank you. looking to thank one of your listeners, I think, maybe Staff. He's pretty sure it was on your show. He tipped out Archie at Addington last night. Had the little fill-up thanks to SENZ bonus bet, 25 each way, nines and threes. Uh, first time I've got a proper collect on a bonus of a bonus bet. Tell him to keep them up. Uh, well, we believe, uh, looking back to yesterday, um, Louis, that was Kevin from Titterangi, I think, uh, comes up with the, the goods more often than not. Yeah, he's pretty sharp, Kev, and he said something along the lines of it was very unlucky, got clear late last start and Blair Orange in the bike, which is um, enough ticks, isn't it? And it sent a couple of green ticks to Simon Carl. Also, you and me didn't back it, I'm guessing, which is uh, a massive weight off its shoulders. I passed uh, around the uh, rubbery dub and uh, two or three got it. Don't worry about that. Two or three got it at uh, at decent numbers. So, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, Happiness, happiness in the room. Chris from Fox and said, great interview, Smithy. How much did he win, please? Well, he got um, uh, 500, 500 to one for 100 pounds. So 50,000, 50,000 bucks, Chris, $50,000. Uh, 50,000 pounds, sorry, 104,000 New Zealand dollars on just a, a bit of a punt. Kept the ticket for 14 years in the cupboard and it came true. Uh, absolutely brilliant stuff. Uh, Joseph. Uh, hey Smithy, uh, I'm sure a lot of people don't realise this, but Sky TV does not have the rights to show the Ashes cricket this year. Very disappointing. Love watching the Ashes. No TV coverage in New Zealand. We'll have to tune into SCNZ. Well, that won't be a problem uh, because if we've got it ball by ball, and we've got a really good commentary team as well uh, to explain it to you and paint the picture for you. Um, yes, uh, I did know that because uh, I don't think Sky Television have uh, the rights to anything coming out of England. It's sold on a country-by-country country basis. Nothing uh, coming out of England except uh, events that are governed by the ICC itself. So, therefore, the World Test Championship should have been up for grabs. I'm not quite sure uh, whether Sky have uh, managed to uh, secure that for Australia v India. I haven't seen it being advertised. Uh, if they have, and it's not too far away, but I would be thinking uh, you, you're right. Uh, unless Spark are going to show it in some fashion, or whether they've on sold that to show um, uh, to TVN said to show on uh, one form of a medium or not, I don't know. I really don't. Uh, hopefully, we'll see something about that because we dearly would love to see the Ashes. It's a much-awaited series. Uh, 10:30 here on SENZ. We'll go to Arafa. When we come back, uh, we shall uh, have a chat to Louis uh, about uh, some racing coming up today and over the weekend, and then of course. Uh, we'll talk to uh, Brendan Popperwell. So, and Tony Pike coming up too. Bit of a racing theme for the next hour and a half. Loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. And that is uh, Louis Herman Watt, without uh, any doubt whatsoever. Now, uh, Louis, interesting, before we get on to uh, any information or maybe a tip or two, um, very interesting development through the racing industry. Uh, if you've ever watched trials, folks, you'll know that uh, when you hear the caller calling trials, you might mention the Burgundy Gelding or, you know, the uh, the Savabelle Colt running around because it's unnamed um, or uh, the name has been undeclared. Uh, that's going to change, Louis, from now on, and you'll know exactly what you're watching with its racing name. 
That's right, Smithy. An email came through from the COO of NZTR yesterday, Darren Balcom, saying NZTR has approved the rule change whereby a horse may only be entered for and start in a race or a trial or a jump out or test for certification purposes if it is registered and has been named according with the rules of racing, the rationale. Uh, they list a number of reasons. The rule change improve, provides improved punter visibility on horses, which is probably the biggest um, plus for us, which I would agree with. will also aid traceability for welfare purposes, tracking the current location of ownership of horses more efficiently. Um, naming your horse before a race trial or test for certification purposes will ensure there is no delay and or refusal of nomination. Um, so there's a few reasons why. Uh, there's a few reasons why they've done it now. I think it probably costs to register a horse, which, uh, which would probably... I guess annoy those that trade these horses from the trials, which we see a lot of, because they kind of want to sneak them through and get them done and dusted, and out we go. So I'm sure we'll hear from the industry. Actually, Pikey would be a good person to ask. After 11 mm. o'clock, the, the pluses and minuses, he's the former president of the uh, Trainers Association. So, yeah, he'll be good to quiz on that one. Rightio, okay. They are running around all over the place in the next uh, three days. Uh, beginning um, today, just uh, uh, what about uh, 5k from where you sit, actually, uh, at Rickerton Park on the synthetic. I'm in Auckland, Smithy, sadly, and I, and I do mean oh, you that. Are too? Sadly, it's a, right. a okay. Yeah, shut your ears, earmuffs, you nor- earmuffs, Aucklanders. Gee whiz, yeah. it's a it's a rough place, isn't it? Anyway, um, yeah, look, I tell you what's good news for <laughs> Finn's spitting tax over there. He's obviously a born and bred Aucklander. Um, it's quite interesting today at Rickerton Park. We've had three days of synthetics, which is a massive victory for progression and innovation and efficiency, I would su- suggest. We had Cambridge, Awapuni, Rickerton, and it's winter, so good news. I'm not going to necessarily tip anything out, out today because I, I think I'm probably going to keep my cards close to my chest for the weekend, uh, but there are nice races. There's a, a really decent race. 75, race 8 Fireglow, Light Up who's been running really good races um, Glorified has taken money Kelsey Hannon's shot down there she'll be um, with a, a decent book of rides today, she's with T- uh, Terry Ray there you've got Caitlin Jay which won super on the synthetic two starts ago so race 8 is a, a really decent race to get your teeth into, uh, there's a 3 year old set weights and penalty race as well Andrew Carston's got Lippy um, that was racing pre- uh, previously in the north, uh, Rhonda Wood is there Sassy Choose, last start winner Jasmine Fawcett jumps back on so uh, they'll be looking to go back to back there in race number 4, this weekend Smithy, uh, we've got the Queensland Oaks, we'll talk to Pikey, we'll save that for after 11, he's got Cheval Dior over there but at Avondale and Whanganui interesting for us, Whanganui has the $1.50 favourite scratched Carbonados because it's been sold Alan Sharrick has sold the wee rocket ship two-year-old. No, I wanted to see that racing in New Zealand. I certainly wanted to see it racing in New Zealand in the spring uh, and some classic races. So that uh, I, I hope, I hope it's um, well, it's clearly been sold overseas. So we probably won't. But 
What happened uh, to this the go there. Well, imagine yeah. if you imagine if you had an early bet on a horse like Chantilly Relace, seven dollars fifty. It's now three dollars fifty. Or Bella Regaza for Forsman, nines, and now it's four fifty. The deductions that yeah. is absolutely scintillating deductions, and it was going to kick them in. I would say so. It's a bit of a reprieve for the rest of the two-year-olds, uh, the rest of the connections that rolled the dice and said we'll have a go. They'll be feeling good today. Stakes race. They will indeed. They will indeed. They will indeed. It is ten thirty-seven. Uh, short break, and when we come back, Pops will be with us. The Bulletin. Well, this morning's guest on The Bulletin is one Brendan Popperwell. You'll see uh, Pops uh, regularly appearing on Trackside, of course. He also comes to us here on SENZ uh, with uh, some odds uh, every now and then throughout the week. Um, uh, and a bit of stock and trade job is uh, in the racing industry and uh, to present it with the best of his ability on uh, trackside. Pops, good morning to you. I just wonder, um, have you heard uh, with this new deal with Entain, uh, etc. and New Zealand Racing, have you heard anything about coverage um, and how it's going to play out? Morning, Smithy. Look, we haven't uh, at this stage, mate. Um, of course, Entain uh, took over yesterday uh, officially. Uh, of course, that was... Uh, part of the description that they would be looking into a broadcasting side of things. Of course, for me personally, I would love to be able to get out more on course. Of course, we have been stuck in our little shoebox studio uh, for the last couple of years, uh, presenting the races, still and true, trying to bring the best product possible. But to be able to live up to our name, uh, we also need to be trackside ourselves to be able to get the latest information from jockeys and trainers because that's where the gold nuggets are uh, for punters listening in to either... Uh, a winning jockey interview with what they like around track conditions later on, or of course trainers pre-race. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed there will be some some sort of change in that space uh, leading into the spring. Cool. Okay, I'll uh, look forward to that. Uh, so, uh, Pops is also a, a genuine all-rounder. Has a lot of interest in uh, a lot of sports, in particular as well. Um, blues or maroons for you the other night? Uh, maroons for me, um, Smithy, and, and that's down to. I think they were always the underdog when I was supporting them. Uh, they were a team that, uh, you know, around Wally Lewis and that through, through that era, um, there were some great names, but it was always the Blues that were the star-studded lineup. And I still feel as though as we get to this era that the Blues have all the stars, but don't quite be able to still put it together out on the park because there was a, a lot of passion uh, in that last 10 minutes from Queensland to be able to get the job done. It was uh, absolutely fantastic performance in the end. It showed uh, guts and determination. Uh, this weekend, uh, of course, there was some relatively ugly scenes at McLean Park towards the end of the game, not involving the players, mind you, uh, Pops. But this weekend, uh, the Warriors return home to Go Media Mount Smart Stadium, as it is now termed. Uh, what do you make of their chances against the Dolphins? Yeah, I think it's a game where the Warriors really should say that this is two points for them. They've got a lot in their favour. Uh, Dolphins don't bring the, their players that are involved uh, in the Origin Series. One of them was injured, of course, and, and the hammer was decided, they decided pre-match that, that Dabwai Fado would not be coming and playing the Warriors in this match. So everything in the Warriors' favour and the fact that they're bringing players back in, getting Wade Egan back into the mix, and I think the big one in Mitch Barnett. He has been a key figure before his injury uh, against the Cowboys, and to have him back in the scene, I think it's a huge lift for the Warriors. So, and Dylan Walker uh, as well, just to have him back in the mixture. I think a game under the belt for Luke Metcalf's going to be a big one too. We didn't quite see the running game from him. We saw it in small pieces. Of course, a couple of little errors at the back end of that match were costly, but I think he's a player for the future for the Warriors in that halves position. 
I'm looking for more from, from Luke Metcalf as well on the weekend. And, yeah, Warriors, uh, I feel as though they should be strong favourites and, and a match that they should target and win in front of a big crowd. Right, OK, let's hope for the best for Andrew Webster and co then. If um, if they play to their ability, I think they'll win that right. I'm, I'm with you on that, Pops. Look, here's um, another big match-up today. Of course, uh, it's, uh, it's in America. It's Game 1 of the NBA Grand Finals, best of seven. Um, and uh, the Nuggets, uh, you boys at the TAB have got the Nuggets fairly firm favourites, uh, and I'm picking they will win Game 1 comfortably. I think so too as well, um, Smithy. It's a team where they've had a 10-day rest uh, compared to the three days uh, turnaround for Miami Heat. Now, that could work both ways, couldn't it? Uh, Miami Heat coming off the back of a, of a, a series that went to Game Number 7 and bringing a, a little bit of momentum into game number one. Maybe that will see momentum into that first quarter, first half, where they could hit the ground running uh, against the Denver Nuggets, who had their feet up for 10 days and resting. But I think over the entire series itself, I think that's going to be a massive help for them uh, overall, having that 10 days off and playing that first game in altitude for the Miami Heat. There's a really cool stat floating around this game leading into game number one. Any NBA finalist that's had a five or more day rest advantage going into the finals playing at home has won eight times out of nine so that's a big stat in the favor of the Denver Nuggets I feel as though they are the team that can bring it home here and even through the regular season they've had a any they've had a three day or more rest they've won 16 times out of 20 with a three or more day rest throughout the regular season the Joker is the key man for them he is um, the MVP you basically want to give it to him if the Denver Nuggets are winning and, of course, when they've got that mismatch, there's a lot of mismatches, I thought, across the, the floor here with the Miami Heat with uh, Bam Adebayo, who's going to be doing a big job just trying to defend uh, the Joker. And I really don't think he does have the, the height and size advantage on the Joker and, and chance them to get to that floater in the paint. They're just going to be really hard to beat today and throughout the series at Denver Nuggets. Yep, I think you're spot on there, uh, Pops. What about Super Rugby, uh, the last round of... Round robin play, a uh, couple of very big games. Highlanders, Blues, then of course um, the Hurricanes hosting the Crusaders. Uh, I think the two matches are the round as far as we're concerned. Absolutely, and of course a lot on the line for this Highlanders team tonight when they come to Eden Park, uh, and also too the, the the Gordon Hunter Memorial Trophy uh, with the Blues holding that, and the holders uh, get to put that trophy on the line, and that's a very important rugby for both sides, but of course for New Zealand rugby as we know, and. Look, the Highlanders, they have to give themselves a chance. I think they have been presented with an opportunity uh, to try and play their best footy at, at Eden Park. We know they haven't played their best throughout the year, but surely they turn up with some sort of skill to say that they can pull off uh, the unthinkable. I, I feel as though they can play a game here. To, to, I'm, I can't pick them to win, but I do feel as though they can keep this pretty tight throughout the, uh, the 80 minutes, the Highlanders. So I'd expect a tight performance in that one with the Blues just coming out on top. Of course, with a few little changes with what we've seen, the team coming out to Avasa Sheik is a name. We haven't heard that name in the Blues mixture for a while is uh, all of a sudden in the bench. So, um, yeah, Blues in a tight one. And the, the Hurricanes-Crusaders one's got a lot around it, hasn't it, in terms of the Canes who've come off the back of, look, um, a couple of serious um, you know, games against the Chiefs and the Blues with what they've done in the season... They could cause an upset here. It's their opportunity to try and strike against a Crusaders lineup that is limited on numbers, but we know when the Crusaders get close to finals times that they really do lift the notch as well. So they are really going to be two classic games coming up. 
Where do you um, where where do you uh, sit in terms of um, this weekend? In terms of maybe uh, a tip or two for us. Have you got got anything lined up in either the the equine or the human side of things? Don't hold out, pops. <laughs> Hi, Louis. Um, look, I actually like a couple today at the Sunshine Coast. I, I feel as though when we get to this time of the year, it's very hard to be sort of really keen about uh, things on the heavy team track conditions that we've got in front of us. Difficult fields, I thought, at Avondale tomorrow. Well, there's two horses at uh, Sunshine Coast today. Race three, uh, a Wexford trained runner, in fact, by the name of Paul Veet, uh, was winning two starts ago at Ipswich. Uh, look, it was only okay uh, last time out, but a smaller field, Race three, number eight, Corvette at around 360. And there's a former Kiwi horse running in the last race by the name of Master Marco. He used to be with the Tylers, race eight, number two. Look, he's a horse that's just been looking for more distance. Quite liked his, his first couple of runs. He won a Doombin last preparation over more distance. He gets up to 2,200 metres with uh, top jock aboard and, and James Ormond uh, out of Queensland. He's currently sitting at a $9 price. So I really like that. And in terms of a, a bet on the sport, I think anything to do with uh, Jokic today in the basketball, the triple-double into the Nuggets winning at $2.60. I think, I think that's a really good bet around him. Uh, there's no doubting he'll, he'll get his assist up because I think if they start double-teaming, he'll just start passing. If they can't stop him shooting, he'll get his 10 points plus. We know he's great on the boards. I think he's a triple-double just waiting to happen in game number one and the Nuggets to win. So that's where I'm looking at this stage, Smithy. Okay, uh, just uh, finally, Pops, this morning we spoke to a fellow by the name of Tim Piper. Uh, Tim Piper's a publican and, and just out of Birmingham. Uh, he's the man yeah. that put the bet on um, of the young cricketer, Josh Tunker, finally one day realises dreams and become an English Test cricketer. That opened, happened overnight when Brendan McCullum named him in his side to play uh, Ireland at Lords. Um, just brings to mind, um, the, Entain, this, uh, it, actually, it, was, it was actually paid out, it was accepted, the bet was accepted by Coral. Now, Coral, I think, mm. is part of the Entain network as such. Would there ever be a case in New Zealand that um, with our legislation we could ever have novelty bets as such? I mean, we have futures bets as such. A bet like that? Yeah. Look, I know that they've always looked into that space. And as you said, there, there is a, a point of view where there's a little bit of, a, quite a bit of red tape to be able to work through because entertainment betting under your novelty, novelty bets. So novelty bets like Super Bowl, what colour is the Gatorade going to be uh, tipped onto the winning coach and all those sorts of things, entertainment betting, who's going to win uh, Dancing with the Stars 2023 and all those sorts of bets uh, which you can find in, in other agencies. So, look, there is all these opportunities that are opened up, Smithy. So, look, I wouldn't say no. And that's a pretty incredible story uh, at the same time, isn't it? And, um, yeah, boy, you could have had a whole show with that bloke. He was terrific. He's a terrific bloke, all right. Uh, and you've been fantastic for us as well, Pops, this morning. Uh, have a terrific weekend. Um, probably not getting out and about this weekend as much as you would like, but uh, we shall uh, be watching with interest uh, your fine work, sir, and uh, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Anytime, Stockley. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Uh, it's uh, Brendan Popperwell, uh, our man from uh, the TAB, just uh, with his perspective on uh, a number of other issues as well. And, I too uh, look forward to uh, what's going to come from this arrangement with Entain in terms of uh, newness about um, the information we've provided, our ability uh, to wager if we want to, um, always encouraging the fact that uh, you know, you've got to bet responsibility, responsibly and uh, that means uh, over 18 and don't bet beyond your means. We know, we'll know that. Uh, it is 10.53 here on SCNZ.
Yes, that uh, Nuggets uh, heat game tips off this afternoon. I think uh, probably not too far away, actually. But uh, I'll be honest with you, it's great. It's great drama, the way they introduce the home team players, etc. And they really get stuck into it. It's a really uh, amazing broadcast, the NBA Finals. Um, so much razzmatazz about it. Uh, there'll be uh, Charles Barkley, of course. Shaq will be there. Kenny Smith um, previewing it. And then, of course, you'll get the wonderful commentary. Right, uh, after uh, the break here, we'll move into our last hour for the week, and that'll include a chat to Tony Pike, um, to Michael Guerin. Uh, we shall also visit the sports desk, uh, courtesy of Polaris with Louie, and uh, also we'll have a stump smithy as well, as uh, well as uh, more of your texts as well come in. Double eight, double three, best two locks. Best two locks New Zealand have ever had. Who's your best number four and five? Meads plus who? White lock plus who? Do we have to split the errors? Love to hear from you. Coming up to 11 here. Three here on SENZ. Um, just uh, trying to get through to uh, Tony Pike. Uh, hopefully he'll pick up the phone very shortly. Uh, but uh, Goldie's come through with a text, Lou, and on the basis of what you were saying about having to name uh, your horses before they go uh, to a trial situation. Goldie's come in and said, look, takes away the ability of an owner or a syndicate to name a horse. What do you make of that? Does it? <laughs> just trying to, just trying to think that one through. I mean, we when I was involved, when I've been involved in syndicate horses, and you have two Smithy, they ask for name suggestions, and that is before your first trial. So maybe, maybe if I mean, wouldn't you just or an only just get in touch with the trainer and do it before the first trial? I might be missing something there, Goldie. Can you not just do it before the first trial if you get your ducks in a row? Right, okay. Um, what we haven't uh, focused in on uh, this morning is this news coming through uh, about uh, Eddie Jones. And uh, it looks as if, uh, for all intents and purposes, Eddie has said, look, I'm out of here after the World Cup. Or is he? I mean, what would you know? Would you trust anything that he says? But that would be on the back of um, what they did in terms of getting rid of David Rennie um, to, uh, to get him in. Um, and on the back of the fact that um, they're going to lose uh, their CEO very shortly as well and prior to the World Cup, uh, where does that sit with uh, Australian rugby? Uh, Louis, I, I find that really weird. It's, it's, it's under this heading, shock announcement. Eddie Jones' declaration he will stop coaching the Wallabies after the World Cup won't have an immediate pack, impact on Super Rugby. But down the track, we know Jones, who signed a five-year deal with Rugby Australia, uh, after Rennie was sacked, says he will walk out on the Wallabies after the global tournament in France later this year. What's that? I mean, this is just a nightmare for Rugby Australia. It's a nightmare for their spin doctors. It's just Eddie Jones 101. I mean, the guy is... Can we say it? The guy is extremely hard work. Like, he is. And he has been, and he will be. But there's a bit of brilliance there, and he's he'll rally the troops, he'll get the cattle rod out... But Rugby Australia had to try and explain it away. 
Jones was trying to emphasise his focus is only on the Rugby World Cup. Well, how would you know? How would you know what he's trying to emphasise? He, he can do this from time to time, Smitty, Smitty. He can go rogue. We've seen it. He's got a track record. We know what he is. We know what he is, yeah. I mean, he is a headline seeker and a headline finder, and that's certainly created headlines uh, in terms of uh, Australia uh, this morning um, across their uh, papers. Uh, Steve has come in and said, Smithy, uh, another one to add to the list is Peter Paul Whiting. My two would be Pine Tree and Paul. Now, Paul Whiting was a giant of a man. He really was. Um, and a superb footballer. Superb footballer. So uh, we'll put that uh, on hold now because the very best news is uh, we've got uh, Tony Pike with us and the Queensland Carnival has become an extremely popular destination for our top horses and horse people over the years. It's got something to do with the big stakes on offer, the slightly easier class of Group 1s, I think it's fair to say, compared to Melbourne and Sydney, and the trainers enjoying the warmth of the sunshine, and it's uh, casinos uh, time and again, I would imagine, too. We've had a few Kiwis ply their trade so far this season with varying degrees of luck. This weekend, though, we have a strong attack on the Queensland Oaks, which lost one of its favourites, Fireburn, yesterday. Ben Foot will saddle up Secure Girl, Secure Girl, and a Tony Pike has his filly Cheval Dior ready to attack, albeit from a very wide gate. Pike has a lot of success in this part of the world through the years, and he is with us this morning. And uh, Tony Pike, as I say, good morning to you. I would imagine uh, when you walk on a Queensland, uh, when you walk onto Queensland soil, you have uh, memories of um, the Bostonian with Michael Kale on board, winning the Doombin Ten Thousand. Great memories, Pikey. Yeah, we've um, had a lot of luck in Queensland over the years, and um, you know, hopefully we can carry on this season. Just uh, yeah, very nice of uh, the locals to stick with two Kiwis and two outside barriers on Saturday. But um, anyway, we'll we'll do our best. It does seem to be a bit like that visitors draws, doesn't it, Pikey? And we'll ask you uh, if you've got any advice a little bit later on. Is there a knack to travelling horses to Queensland versus other Australian states, or is it even easier because it's warmer? Uh, look, probably it's it's warmer. I think um, travel these days, you know, whether it's horses or people, it's become a lot easier um, to to move around the world, and it's no different with the horses. I think it was only about a nine-hour trip door to door for Cheval Dior to get over here, and it's very similar to Sydney or Melbourne. But um, what you do tend to find at the you know, the end of uh, our sort of summer, it's getting a bit cool, and um, their coats are just starting to turn at home, and they get back over here in the warmer weather, and. Um, they really start to bounce, their coats pick up and, and they tend to do extremely well just in that warmer climate. You talked about the, the Kiwi draws. Well, you might take a little bit of heart out of uh, Leith Innes and uh, his performance on Pinarello because that was, from memory, drawn very wide in itself, wasn't it? Yeah, look, it was. Um, I won the Oaks a few years ago for provocative. She drew gate 18 that day. But admittedly, the track was um, was uh, reasonably soft. It was almost um, heavy last year and... Uh, the track was softening, provocative one. So it's going to be a pretty firm deck there on Saturday, which will make it a little bit tougher. Um, but uh, obviously, 2,200 metres on the on the big track at Eagle Farm, a few of these you know, fillies will be struggling, uh, turning for home. So you know, it's going to be more so navigating traffic, I think, um, you know, through the field with some of those fillies that probably aren't going to stay the trip. So you're very confident that Cheval Dior will get that 24? And, and when did you kind of piece it together that she had a bit of scope, Tony? Uh, look, always has done. Uh, just been a bit of a slow maturing filly, so we decided to miss the uh, New Zealand Oaks. Um, but obviously, she was pretty good at counties the other day, over 2,100 metres on a very you know, heavy testing track. So, 
know, Michael sat wide that day and came the widest in the straight, so I don't think the distance is going to be a, a worry for her at all. She'll, she'll see it out um, definitely better than most. He's, he's just going to have to extricate a little bit of luck from that wide gate early. So, um, yeah, Michael and Opie might just have a, have a chat to each other in the gates and see what we're going to do from out there. <laughs> that, that'd be handy. Mate, have you worked out what's gone on with Fireburn? A little bit of controversy around this. She's been scratched. Uh, I've seen different comments of people saying, you know, vets might see a horse for the first time in their life and, you know, it could have an awkward gait. Is there any bully about what's happened to this filly? Uh, we did this. We got um, uh, vetted yesterday morning as well. So all the runners and all the Group 1 races um, get vetted by the racing clean some vets. Um, on the Thursday morning, um, look, it's unfortunate, but probably for the animal welfare aspect of it, more and more of this is going to happen. It is, it is often difficult with horses that do have a, an unusual gait when they do trot up, and you know it's, it's probably something you're going to have to discuss going forward. But um, look, disappointing for Gary, but um, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah, all the horses in these Group One races have to uh, have to pass a, pass a pretty rigorous uh, fitness test. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of concern if you've got a little bit of an issue going forward, but um, yeah, it's really just around animal welfare and everything like that. So um, yeah, hopefully the vet's got it right. How much does the, the three-year-old season we've had and the form of the fillies in particular give you confidence that Cheval Dior should stick, stack up? A question I asked Ben Foote a couple of weeks ago, and, and he said huge amounts because we, we've seen a class of filly here that have been able to achieve over in Australia already. We know what they've done back home in New Zealand, and your fillies in particular haven't been that far behind them. Yeah, look, we've had a really strong bunch of three-year-olds this season, and you know, obviously the fillies in particular. So, you know, although Chevalier or probably isn't run against you know your likes of um, Prowess and Legato, she's um, you know she's um, been pretty consistent and some and nice races going forward. So, yeah, look, I think you do take some heart in that. Obviously, our three-year-old form's been very strong, and um, you know I'm sure we'll bring it over with us. Um, you know, we've got a good record in the Queensland Oaks, and it seems to be a race that fits in well with our pattern at the end of the season. The, uh, the bit of news out yesterday from Darren Balcom, NZTR, that they're changing um, the rules around naming horses. So you, you take it to the trial. It's no longer the uh, Redwood Gelding or the Ghibellines Philly. They have to have names. Is this Does this make perfect sense to you? And is there any kickback? Oh, look, I think there is going to be a little bit of kickback. Um, you know, obviously, New Zealand is a very much a, a trading nation and um, you know, with a lot of young horses that probably stay in the country just to barrier trial and get educated before they head off either to you know, Asian jurisdictions or Australia. So, look, it's more so going to be a hassle than anything else. I think it's a lot more paperwork, um, obviously, and uh, to get these horses named and a lot of horses will be named and not race in the country, which you know, probably has a little bit of a, a negative impact. But, um, you know, I think it's something we're just going to have to get used to. Obviously, they've changed the rules and... Um, apart from being more paperwork, um, yeah, there, there is some reasoning behind it, obviously, with trial um, performances and that being obviously publicised both here in Australia. So, yeah, a little bit of a hassle, but I'm, I'm sure we'll work around it. Pikey, um, we've had back-to-back-to-back um, meetings, including the one today at uh, Christchurch on the synthetic. Just wondering from a training point of view, how soon do you make up your mind as to whether you're going to run a horse on a synthetic track? And, and what are the, t- the telltale signs, etc.? Uh, interesting, Smithy. I think it's you know we're heading into winter, and obviously, you know, if your horses don't handle a, a, a heavy or a slow track, then you're in a bit of trouble. It's a long time until we get a decent track again in the spring. So, what you tend to find is, well, my opinion is, um, 
you know, genuine wet track horses, they tend to not be competitive on the synthetic. They actually go very quickly on it. Um, it's obviously a firmer, you know, reasonably consistent surface. And I think it's more uh, designed around those horses that, um, you know, basically they run into the winter. They, they don't, uh, you know, I just don't want to send them to the paddock for a couple of months and take another three months to get them back up again. So um, you tend to find it's more your, your sort of good track horses that uh, will be competitive on the poly. And, um, yeah, you tend to find if, you, if you've got a good wet tracker, they, they tend to struggle to, to keep up with the pace of, of the tempo of the races on a, on a synthetic track. Well, you got a couple of those uh, back here tomorrow, Tony, as we let you carry on with your day. Get lit at Avondale and Almanac, who has trialled up and won on a heavy track. You don't tend to have too many that go through the heavy. These are both each-way chances tomorrow at Avondale? Yeah, quite like them both. Um, Getlet's going to be a promising man next season. She's still a touch immature, but um, she was consistent last season. Um, she seems to get through heavy tracks reasonably well. Um, so it's um, you know she's been out a while and really just needed to give her a couple of runs ahead of the spring. So um, if she handles the track, she'll uh, definitely be an each way chance. And Almanac, um, he's probably not a true heavy tracker, but he he's a horse that's going to stay all day. He's going to make quite a nice staying horse as he matures as a four and five year old. So I think fresh up at the mile is going to suit. And yeah, look, he appears to get through it you know reasonably well. You got Michael McNabb, New Zealand's champion jockey over there um, on Cheval d'Or. Um, not quite sure how often Michael has ridden on the Eagle Farm track, but what um, what kind of instructions do you think you might have, uh, bearing in mind the draw you've got? Uh, look, obviously with good jockeys, it's hard to give instructions in races like that from those sort of barrier draws. Um, yeah, I think we'll just be reasonably positive early, and then just it's going to be up to Michael. I think how she clears the barriers and sort of what the early tempo of the race is, probably being 2200 is a bit more difficult than when it used to be at the 24. You've got a, a lot lesser, uh, you know, shorter run into that first corner to make your mind up whether you're going forward or back. So, um, yeah, he's going to have to make a decision pretty quickly. But, yeah, I think that you've got to put your faith in these sort of jockeys. He's ridden her a lot before, and, you know, they're the ones that are out there, and, you know, he'll be able to have to sum up the race in the first sort of three or 400 metres. Well, with our record in Australian Group 1s this season, I would not be beating against either of our fillies. And uh, look, two of our best jockeys doing the work. Oh, and the trainers go all right too, footy and yourself, uh, Tony. So good luck. Appreciate your time this morning, and we'll talk again very soon, no doubt. Thanks, boys. There you go. Tony Pike, uh, a leading trainer. Smithy, he has been right around the block, actually, and he's won many of these Group 1s. Plenty. Win a race over there. Disappointed clearly with the draw, but wouldn't be taking it just for the fun of it. It's a very expensive exercise, Louis. Um, and I often find that um, uh, when you send a raider over there, uh, first up, uh, it, uh, I think it can be quite encouraging. Um, and I, 13 bucks, um, I think worth a double, worth a double um, on that. So we shall uh, take uh, a quick break. When we come back, I think what we'll do, Louis, is uh, maybe come back to you uh, with uh, some sports desk topics, courtesy of Polaris. Turn up the volume. We're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Rightio, yes, uh, courtesy of uh, Polaris. And uh, let's not forget uh, they have some wonderful field day specials uh, on. Now you can, for instance, get up to $2,500 free accessories. That's a lot of accessories on uh, the Polaris Rangers. That's just one of the many uh, leading into the field days, of course. Uh, Mystery Creek, uh, I think uh, on about the 14th uh, is the first day 
uh, at Mystery Creek up there in the Waikato. Uh, right, uh, let's get across to uh, to Louis and uh, just noticing on the way there, Louis, that um, French uh, Open tennis results. We talked, of course, uh, about that yesterday. Uh, Zarev got through overnight, uh, six four six two six one over Molcan. Uh, Rune, Rune, who was a name mentioned as a real possibility to keep an eye on, he won through on a walkover, so plenty of energy left in the tanks. Uh, Rindenek was beaten by Taylor Fritz, of course, who's uh, an American. He's the ninth seed. He goes through. Uh, Tommy Paulo was a name mentioned uh, yesterday, and he's gone, beaten by uh, Jerry uh, in four sets. Uh, so uh, a poor result for him. Francis TFO got through in four sets. So by and large, not too bad. Uh, Kokonakis is uh, due on court this evening. Rublev, the seventh seed, is on court this evening. And on the women's side of things, uh, Andreescu, and we know Andreescu is going to team up with our very own Michael Venus to play in the mixed doubles. She's in good form. Uh, she's through to uh, the third round. Uh, also through Coco Goff, the uh, number six seed at 6-2-6-3, straight sets winner there. Angebeur, uh, very, very accomplished player. Seventh seed for this tournament, which I thought might have been a bit low for her, but she got through in straight sets uh, through to the third round, 6-2-6-3. Um, and... Um, uh, of course, uh, Inga Schwiantek, Schwiantek uh, I think we had it come through yesterday. 6-4, 6 love over the American Lou. So uh, she's through, and it's going to take something very, very special to stop her, Louis. That's uh, the updates from um, from last night in terms of the French Open tennis. Yeah, very good. Sneak the in in there, Schwiantek, uh, Smithy. Mm. And name you didn't read is Emma Raducanu, one-time US Open champion. She's only 20. But I'm worried. I'm deeply concerned about Emma Raducanu, and I will not even think about writing her off, a 20-year-old who's had injury problems. But she is free-falling consistently since she was invited to the Met Gala, and I don't think it's the Met Gala's fault. She won the US Open. It was a phenomenon at the time. She took over New York, and she'll never forget that. But, man, this is concerning. She's had multiple operations on her ankles and and, uh, wrists. That's why she's not playing in the... Well, for the rest of the year, really. She's got a long way to come back from injury. So young. I'm very concerned about her health. And also very concerned about the fact that she's split with her coach, Sebastian Sash, her fifth coach in less than two years. Five and under two. Her previous coach, Dmitry Tursunov, warned of red flags. Mm. And she's not playing. She hasn't consistently played in a long time since she won that US Open. Her body's failed her, and for whatever reason, she is finding it hard to get on with a certain level of coach. And it kind of you know, puts the writing on the wall that maybe her, her, her major was a bolt from the blue. Again, I'd never write her off, but I just worry with a young lady who's battled so many injuries. Kind of half reminiscent of that period Lydia Ko went through, except Lydia Ko had a sustained period of excellence before she fell out of form and went through all those coaches, and then obviously Sean Foley, um, came out of the woodwork and, and they went back to domination. And now Lydia Ko, coincidentally, is tied for fifth, three under at the Liberty National Golf Course in the Mizuho Americas Open. So um, there's a couple of updates on, well, a couple of very young uh, young women who dominated at an early stage. Well, also, I, I watched the progress too of uh, Leila Fernandez. Now, she was beaten in the uh, second round, Leila Fernandez, um, to, didn't make it very far. It actually makes a lie of that uh, US Open final uh, between mm-hmm. the two of them, Leila Fernandez and uh, Emma Raducanu, because at that point everyone said, wow, look out for these two stars. This is going to be something phenomenal 
on the tennis front, two really marketable young girls. And uh, what's happened? What has actually happened uh, since that day? Very little in their careers in terms of success. So maybe too much too soon, and they've just not been able to handle it. But I, I, I would imagine that most of them are very, very disappointed, as will Ryan Fox be with a, a five over overnight. Um, and the first round of the latest uh, tournament that uh, he's playing, it's the Memorial. It's a very um, time-honoured tournament, this one, the Memorial. It's led by uh, Davis Riley with five under. Uh, Matt Wallace from England, four under. Uh, Eckroat, uh, three under. Hadwin from Canada, three under. And Hubbard with three under as well on that number. Also Jordan Spieth, um, Adam Scott at two under. Uh, it's a very, very strong field. Ricky Fowler is uh, at even. And uh, yes, uh, Ryan Fox uh, last night shooting uh, potentially his, uh, I think, his worst round since he's been over there applying his trade. Uh, he had uh, five bogeys and a double bogey and two birdies. So uh, not a pretty showing from a Ryan Fox in this tournament. No, it's not good. He'll bounce back though. He's seasoned vet now. He's he's um, he's flatline enough to be able to get back to some sort of form. I'm, I'm absolutely confident in that. Hey, just one. I want to just go back quickly while we still have a minute or so on the sports desk left. The Eddie Jones story. We got a good text from JJ that came through. Serves Hamish McLennan right. Eddie is Eddie and is known to be a rogue agent. Hamish has been spinning attacks against the NRL when he should have been looking at his own backyard. Well, I've been trying to get a little bit of publicity. For all we know, this could be another spin by Eddie and Hamish to keep them in the headlines. Who would trust an Australian? JJ. Firstly, very good point, JJ. Secondly, I think this is not anything to do with Hamish McLennan, and I think he will be absolutely gutted by this because the underrated component of it, Smithy, is he's gone and done this. He's gone and said this, that he's leaving after the World Cup. In a podcast with the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast hosted by Lawrence Delalio. Now, of all the places, back to England, where he's very controversial, Australia were na 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 over the fact they'd prized him away. And he's gone back and done this. He's a head case. He's so hard to predict what he's going to do. Seriously. Uh, that is odd. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if he's announced that without telling Australian rugby, I mean, he's a be in my office first thing Monday morning sort of category, I would imagine. There must be areas of his contract where news of that kind of calibre uh, has to be <laughs> sort of done. We're talking about the biggest job in Australian rugby here. Uh, you know, we're talking about um, you know the one that they they got rid of Dave Rennie for. Uh, he hasn't even he's had the team in a couple of camps. I would imagine he, because of Super Rugby, he hasn't had this full squad available to him to even put together um, or even think about um, a starting fifteen at this point. Uh, and all of a sudden, he said, um, I- "I'm not going to be here anyway." So what the hell? So he's effectively going to coach the Wallabies for ten games, ten or eleven games. Uh, I I can't believe there's too much teeth to this. Actually, I. I uh, I'm sort of expecting later in the day there'll be some sort of denial about this. I, I, I am. Uh, whether they'll force his hand and make him deny it or whether he'll just say that it was, um, it was a slip of the tongue which wasn't really meant in that direction, I don't know. But um, that is very, very odd news. Odd, odd news indeed. Right, it's 11.30 here on SENZ. And it's uh, 0800 11 0800-150811. Last chance for you to get uh, a few bickies from the TAB before the weekend, uh, we'll be playing for a $50 bonus bet um, and uh, we'll handle it all. Uh, Louis and uh, Finn, Finn's on duty up there as well. He'll be taking your calls 
Louis will be the quiz master and we'll see if we can either uh, give you 50 or build it up to 100 for Monday morning. Really is top class at his job. Rightio, uh, let's get into it for this uh, Friday morning. Uh, as I say, Louis uh, at the helm uh, this morning and so we shall uh, find out now from Louis uh, who our first uh, contestant is for this Friday. We're going down to Ash Vegas. We're going down to Cash Burden, as it's been commonly known throughout the years for the way that I've dominated the tracks, both harness and gallop, Smithy. Uh, we're going to catch oh, up with... Well, on, well done. <laughs> I know you're a big fan of self-congratulating. Um, let's catch up with Bevan. G'day, Bev. Oh, actually, hold on, Bevan. No, I've, uh, it's my job to put you on air today, actually. I'm surprised I haven't done that more often. Bevan, hello. Hey, Louis. Smithy, how are we going? We're going really mighty fine, man. Uh, what about yourself down there in Ashburton? How's life? Uh, it's not too bad. It's a nice day down here, and yeah, thank God it's Friday. So, um, what sport are you looking forward to over the weekend, uh, Bevan? Uh, uh, looking forward to the, the league on Saturday, the Warriors. That should be a good game for them. Hopefully, they can uh, bounce back with a, a win for us. Uh, are you a Crusaders fan, or not really? Of course, he is. Uh, no, I was born in Dunedin, mate, so I uh, I support the, the blue and gold. All right, so give, so, give a good weekend, okay. sorry. I was just going to say, uh, last uh, last game possibly for Aaron Smith. So he's been a great servant down there. Yeah. He has. He, he's, he's, he's been a one-man band at times, but hopefully the boys can send him off good tonight. Okay, well, let, hope, uh, hopefully we can send you off with uh, 50 buck. Uh, Bonus bit voucher from the TAV. Louis, uh, well, Bevan, what are the categories? Boxing, hockey, and basketball. Oh, oh um, we'll go. We'll go basketball. Okay, so we shall. <laughs> the NBA Finals are upon us. As the Denver Nuggets take on the Miami Heat. The Nuggets have never appeared in the NBA Finals, but the Heat have. When was the last time the Miami Heat had an NBA Finals appearance? We stab in the dark. Go 2013. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I'm thinking that was about LeBron James time, wasn't it? Dwayne Wade. Um, was it um, Oss? Was he the third one? Big tall centre that they had. Uh, his name will come to me shortly. Chris. But, um, yeah, Chris Oss. Um, I, I think it was around about that time, and that's getting back a wee bit in the day. Would it have been 10 years ago? I don't think so. Would it have been a little closer? I'm going to say 2015. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I know everybody tries to expunge COVID-19 from our memories, but there was a bubbles, a bubble finals with the Lakers and the Heat played in 2020. 2020? Okay. Don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Expunge. Uh, LeBron James, who did previously play for the Miami Heat, made yet another NBA playoff appearance this year, but fell short in the Western Conference Finals to the Denver Nuggets. How many times has LeBron made the playoffs out of his 20 seasons in the NBA? Staggering. 
I'll go unlucky 13. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Well, I reckon he's got at least a 50%, um, a 50% record, so I'm going to go 10. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Gee whiz, fellas, 16. This is LeBron James, the second greatest player of all time we're talking about. 16 out of 20. Yeah, man. Okay, this is for the money shot. <laughs> I love when we go 0 and 3. For some reason, it really... <laughs> it's the best game ever. The FIBA World Cup is the, in August this year, and the Tool Blacks have been lucky enough to qualify. Oh, this is impossible. Actually, it's not. Can you name the three teams that are in the Tool Blacks group for the World Cup? Okay. How about one? Uh, Do you know what? I'll give you... If you can get two of the three. Two of the three. Because two of the three have players that we will all know in their teams. Uh, we'll go... <sighs> Jesus, this is a toughie. Go USA. Yep. Oh, Greece. Sorry, say that again. So USA and Greece, Louis. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and oh. away it goes. Brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. I knew the USA because I was just thinking, what the hell's that score going to be? But then again, if you're a tall black, how great would it be on court with some of those dudes? Um, but they don't, don't often pick their very best players, but uh, what they pick is generally good enough. So, hey, uh, and Greece as well. So that would be uh, Giannis, wouldn't it? If they managed to get Giannis on court, mm. then Greece would have uh, a fairly big chance, you would imagine, as well. So, okay, uh, Bevan from Ashburton. Congratulations, mate, by virtue of getting that last one right. You have uh, got yourself a $50 bonus bet from uh, the TAB. We'll, you stay on the line. Uh, Finn, maybe we'll check that we've got uh, all your details uh, so uh, we can get that to, to you as soon as possible, mate. Have a, a terrific week down there in, in Ashburton. Thank you. Thanks, Smitty. Cheers. Uh, all the very best. Bevan from Ashburton, uh, our winner this morning here on Stump Smithy. We'll uh, have uh, another edition, I would imagine, on Monday, although Monday is... Uh, King's birthday weekend, isn't it? King's birthday weekend. We have to remind ourselves after 70 years of saying Queen's birthday weekend, it's all of a sudden, it's King's birthday weekend. So, right, uh, we'll take a short break. When we come back, uh, I think we'll catch up with Mick, shall we? Mick uh, Guerin and uh, talk about what's happening in his life, which is um, basically our life over the weekend. Right, just confirming uh, the multi for the weekend. Uh, that is uh, the West Tigers to beat uh, Canberra at $2.05. The Warriors to beat the Dolphins at $1.42. The Brumbies to beat the Rebels at $1.27. And in basketball, which tips off uh, just a little bit later on today, uh, the Denver Nuggets and uh, Nikola Jokic uh, up against uh, Miami, uh, Jimmy Buckets Butler. Uh, Denver to win today with a, a basically a 10-point start. So minus 9.5 for Denver. That's at $1.90. The Tigers, the Warriors, into Denver, minus 9.5. Into the Brumbies, uh, that multi's out to $7.02. Right, on the subject of getting a quid or two over the weekend, if you listen to Mick Guerin and uh, Louis Herman Watt uh, tomorrow morning, you'll have a chance. And if you listen to Mick Guerin, perhaps uh, with, uh, with his great Mick Greg O'Connor on Sunday... You might have a chance to get some out of the Ashburton trots as well. Uh, it's good morning to uh, to Mick, uh, Cambridge Harness tonight. 
uh, Ashburton Sunday. And you mentioned last week uh, it starts to wind down a little bit now for some of the harness big boys. Yeah, good morning, Smithy, um, and all your listeners. Yeah, it does. Um, the Auckland Cup was on last week, uh, won by a cooter. And it's sort of, a little bit like the gallops, goes into a winter hiatus where most of the good horses won't be around for a while because horses, much like humans, need an off-season. And then most of them start to come back around September. There's a Queensland carnival, as there is for the gallopers for harness racing, but there won't be an enormous amount of New Zealand horses heading here. You can still back a winner, as you mentioned, Ashburton's on Sunday, and it's a really good meeting. It's a day meeting because there's no lights at Ashburton. And Greg and I will have four different guests on the show at 11 o'clock on Sunday and wanted to chat about that. Before then, we head to Cambridge tonight. It's actually quite a good meeting for Cambridge. It's, it's not the best horses, but try and think if you were talking fully, it would be ITM Cup versus, say, Super Rugby or Test Match stuff. But I don't mind one tonight. It's a horse called Simply Sam. is in race six. It's of a handicap, and sometimes when horses start off back marks, they need a lot of luck to win. Just think there's a win in this horse somewhere. So for the listeners out there who want to have a responsible bet at some stage, it's on at 7.40 tonight. Simply Sam, if it doesn't win tonight, it will win a race over the winter. Um, after that, we'll move on from the harness tonight, Smithy, to tomorrow morning. 8am, it's going to be Louie and I on the mail running up in Auckland, actually, that's a nice chance to be in the same studio together, and we've got some big interviews coming up on ECNZ over the next couple of weeks, because racing's going through such a serious time with some big changes, and, and Louie's been hard at work with those, so really looking forward to getting to the bottom of some of the big issues, as well as, of course, trying to find everybody a winner, that, that'll kick off at 8 tomorrow. All right, uh, Mick, um, also, of course, you'll be uh, looking We're just uh, at the Queensland meeting where we just spoke to uh, Tony Pike. Um, an interesting uh, time of the year uh, up there in the north and the warmer weather too where it's uh, not a bad time to be a race fan. Well, it's a funny thing, Smithy. The Queensland Carnival for the last five years and probably even ten has been... Our, our major carnival in Australia, because the Melbourne and Sydney carnivals which have such mega money, and the news is coming out this week that the Everest, which is in October, is probably going to $20 million, which is a mind-blowing sum of money. But those carnivals over the last 10 years, with the English horses coming and the occasional Japanese horse, uh, and just the depth of, of the Australian horses, have almost been too strong for us. So we've gone to Queensland, which is a notch down, and that's where we've been. We've had success with horses like the Bostonian for, for Tony Pike, um, Pinarello last year winning the Derby. Ironically, this year our horses, our best horses, are going so well. They've actually been too good to go to Queensland. Between Prowess and Legato, um, Levante, Imperatriz, Penny Wicker, actually won a lot more races at big carnivals, Sharp and Smart being another one who's done it, that we actually don't have our best horses going to Queensland. So we've actually had a relatively quiet Queensland carnival so far because, and what's really good for the industry, our best horses have been too good to go there. Mark, it's first, what, 2nd of June. I just wonder if I said to you, right here and now, uh, horse of the year in terms of harness in New Zealand so far, and driver of the year so far, the ones that have made their mark for you, what would it be at this point? 
Well, it's a vastly different question for, for the two different codes because <clears throat> in Galloping Smithy, the racing season ends at August 1, or starts, the new one starts August 1. So for Gallops, the season's all but done. There's not much big stuff still to be dished out. In harness racing, and a lot of our listeners would know this, the season actually runs from January 1 to December 31, so it's a calendar year. So for the harness racing community, we're about halfway. And the back end of the season has so many of the big races, the New Zealand Cup, the Dominion, the Grand Prix races, the Inter-Dominion. So at this stage of the harness racing season, if you said who's going to be horse of the year, probably a cooter because he's won two major races, or maybe copy that. The driver of the year is a signed, sealed and delivered one. That's the postman, Blair Orange. <clears throat> He'll win the premiership. Um, he wins a lot of big races. He won the race by Brins, which is obviously a million dollars. So he will win driver of the year. He's also off to the world championships in Europe in September. But for the horse of the year, a lot of that chapter is still to be written. I spent a bit of time recently, Smithy, thinking about who I'm going to vote for for Galloper of the year. And I still don't know because the list includes Sharp and Smart, Imperatriz, Prowess, Legato, uh, Penny Wicker at the right of the end of those potential horses and, and a few others. So that's one of those ones I'll have to think about a bit more over the next little bit. But The Harness Horse, uh, that's a book which as yet, Smithy, is only half written. Okay, uh, McGarren, we shall look forward to listening to you uh, over the weekend here on SCNZ. Um, and uh, we thank you for your time this morning, Mick, as always. Cheers, man. Thanks, Billy. Always a pleasure, brother. Always a pleasure. It is absolute pleasure, and it's ours. It's uh, 11.51 here on SENZ. Uh, time for us to uh, take a, a short break, our last one for the week, and then we shall uh, pop over, uh, I think, uh, to Staffy. Yeah, we will, and just see what he's got on his show this afternoon.